It's that time in the show when we get to connect with leaders in the city, get to know more about who they are, what they do, and how they feel about the city right now. Today, my guest is Fenella Bruce, a veteran television producer and writer who's worked in the field of journalism for over 20 years. She's been the senior writer or producer at numerous major market television stations, including CTV News Channel, CTV National, CP24, City TV, Toronto One, and uh, BET. She now leads uh, FKB Media Solutions and FKB Media Productions, Inc., a media consulting business and media production house. Welcome, Fenella, to Toronto this weekend. Good morning. Good morning, morning, Maggie. Great to be here. Thank you. You know, it's so funny. I was listening to the song, I'm Every Woman, and I was on the plane coming back from the Caribbean and I was watching Yvonne Orji. I don't don't know if that's how you say her name. Yvonne Orji, she's the comedian. Uh, I don't know if you've, you know her. She's Nigerian. Okay. And she was, and she was, I saw her stand up comic act, her special on HBO. And she's like, I am not every woman. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I want to be a damsel in distress. I don't want to be that strong woman all the time. So I was laughing as I was uh, hearing that song uh, play. I want to find out so much more about you, Fenella. First of all, how did you end up in the world of journalism? What enticed you to get into journalism? Wow. Okay. So we're going to have to go way back for that. Um, <laughs> I, I, okay. When I was in high school, I actually thought I was going to be either a teacher or a lawyer. Okay. And, but I was very good at writing. I was very, very creative and I was very um, into English and reading and that sort of thing. Right. I didn't know that at that point, anything about journalism or what that was in, but involved. And um, when I finished high school, I, I, decided I wasn't going to go into law because it was just too much work. Mm. Um, So I decided that I would just do my BA and then figure it out from there. And once I went, I went to U of T uh, Scarborough campus. And once I was there, I got uh, involved in the uh, uh, newspaper there, the underground. Mm. And um, I was a program director for the radio station and I had my own radio show. And so things started happening and leading me towards media. But what really enticed me, and this is more from the home front, I was a, I was just captivated by television from a child. And I wanted to know how those people got into that box yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how they did what they did. But at U of T, they didn't offer anything like that. And so I, I worked in those other fields of journalism. And then when I finished my BA, I decided I wanted to, to dig deeper. And so I applied to Ryerson for the graduate program. And um, I got into that, uh, which was very, it's very competitive. It's like 60 people and like over 700 people from across the country apply. And uh, I went there and I did a two-year program and I really focused, I took every television opportunity. And then in my second year, I streamed television and that's how I got into the field. Wow. <laughs> yeah. We have very similar stories because I also uh, loved writing, wanted to get into law and did horribly in my law class at at Ryerson, now Toronto Metropolitan University, and uh, and then decided, well, I guess I guess I'm just going to stick with journalism because I can't do, you know, I just was so bad at law, um, and ended up uh, ended up becoming a journalist. So tell me, what kept you uh, in the world of communications journalism for over 20 years? What did you fall in love with that has kept you there for for so long? Uh, I liked a number of things. Um, definitely the variation, the, the difference in every day. Every day was different. Mm-hmm. And um, I liked coming in and seeing what's happening in the world and 
and taking a role in delivering that information to 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 viewers to the community. I liked the immediacy of television um, when I when I found when I was writing for print, which I still did uh, on the side, right? It just was you know, a longer process and, you know, things weren't published right away and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, I was, I was there for the quick, the adrenaline rush, right? Yeah. The quick hits. Yeah. And so I, I really liked it. My first job, my first, like a quote unquote real job um, in the industry was at breakfast television. And I was writing uh, for, for Kevin Frankish. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, um, it was a very intimidating experience. I was, I was the only, I was the only black woman period. And then I was the only woman on the desk. And uh, was you know three three or four other writers that were men, and um, I was the youngest. I was about twenty three at the time, mm-hmm. and so you know I'm this <laughs> I'm this young kid from Scarborough <laughs> trying to write about you know the Middle East, and so it was um, it was good. It was you know a great experience and. I really learned a lot in that role and it was one of the positions I didn't think about doing that when I finished journalism school, becoming a writer in the newsroom, but it was one that I was encouraged to do because it was a position that allowed you to work with everybody in the newsroom. You worked with reporters, the anchor, uh, camera people, editors, the assignment desk. So you got to know everybody's job yeah. in that way. And you, you sort of was that you were the middle person between all of those, um, different, uh, facets of the, of the newsroom. So, I, I really enjoyed doing that. And then I, I excelled at it. I became a senior writer and I moved on to the sixth and the 11 o'clock news. And then I became a producer and, uh, I enjoyed that role for, for, I don't know, maybe about 15 years or so, um, at various outlets, as you mentioned in your intro. And I also like that because I'm a very behind the scenes kind of person. So I, I liked, um, you know, that role, uh, seeing something like a big picture, come, many parts come together into, you know, a show. And it was just a rush. And yeah. I think that's why I stayed so long. Well, I think that's the thing, right? Uh, those of us who watch from home, you know, I mean, again, I've I've been in television for 20 years. And if you're watching from home, you don't realize how many people make the two people or the one person that you see, you know, on your screen look good and sound good. There is an exactly. army, an army, an army <laughs> behind a lot of uh, people involved. Yeah. behind the people that you see on screen. Talk to me about um, accessibility and telling stories. How have you seen that evolve over the years? You know, you talked about being the only black woman on on the desk. The accessibility in being able to tell diverse stories. I know that's been a frustration of many black journalists who have left the industry over the years. You know, some have talked about the emotional toll of never feeling heard, not feeling like uh, there is, you know, a, a myriad of stories that will get to the desk or be told uh, to to those watching, those listening. How have you seen that evolve over the years? Well, I mean, I think it definitely has improved, um, especially in the last few years, um, obviously with um, the, the push to recognize uh, the contributions of uh, Black people in Canada and anti-Black um, racism, um, sort of diversity, inclusion, that sort of stuff coming to the forefront. Um, but I do think it really, honestly, Maggie, it really comes back to who the gatekeepers are. Mm. In that role as a producer, I could get those stories in. 
right? Because I was a decision maker, yep. right? So um, if the person at the top doesn't have an interest, doesn't care, um, doesn't think it's valuable, or doesn't even relate to it, um, and can't, when it's explained to them, understand why, then you're going to continue to have that issue. Uh, I think that there, there's some, you know, as, as I take on my role as a publicist, there's some pet peeves I have in that everybody, for example, is, you know, craving all of the Black History Month stories in February. And then on March 1st, we, we don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. And some of those stories that are running in Black History Month aren't Black History Month stories. Yeah. They're just good stories. They're good stories about entrepreneurs or about people doing stuff in the community that can run any time of the year. It doesn't have to run in February. Yeah, we're, we're Black 365. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my friend says that all the time. Black all, all year long. Um, all year long. Mm -hmm. uh, so you left the world of media and started your own business. Why did you do that? Well, a couple of reasons. Um, I am a mother of two. So there's the other part of every woman. Yeah. <laughs> so I had two kids. Um, they're not kids anymore. They're adults. So at the time that I decided to leave, they were in their late teens, like uh, 18 and 19. And so there was less need for mom to do things for them. So I had a little bit more free time in my brain, a little bit more free time in my in my day, right, to sort of think about what it is that I really want to do for me, right? It was less about is becoming less about the children in my life. And um, I also felt I had reached a point in, in my career where I, I was fine. It, it wasn't challenging anymore. And I didn't know there was anywhere else I wanted to go. Mm. So I felt like entrepreneurship was something I had always been doing on this. I was, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure you know this, it's a Caribbean thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't just have one job, yep. right? So I was always Many side hustles. Yeah, I was writing on the side. I was I was um, organizing events. I was emceeing events. I was doing stuff in the community. So I was always working on the side, anyways. That was always in me. When I finished school, I actually had started my own uh, my first sort of thing while I was trying to find a job. Was I had a PR company and I was doing stuff for uh, community organizations because you know they would they would hire me because <laughs> they didn't have a lot of money. So they were like, sure, I'll let you do it, right? So um, I always had that in me. And so then I felt um, I actually got a job coach at that time. And we talked about it. And I felt like this was the time when I still had the energy and I still had the brain function to to go out it and try on my own and and develop something that's my brand and the things that I want to do and the stories that I want to see um, pushed. And because I had an experience within the media, I knew how to to pitch it to the media, yeah. right? And to and I had those contacts, right, that um, had made over the years that, you know, would open my emails or would take my call or would say, yeah, you know what, I get it. Let me see if I can get this in, et cetera, et cetera. So that was sort of the motivation for me to sort to to leave. And I had sort of started doing it anyways before I left CTV. And then it just it just ballooned. It got to be too much. I couldn't do both at the same time. So the decision was made and I had to leave. Fenella, you know, we were talking about just the evolution of uh, journalism and, and a bit of the frustration with uh, those uh, up, that are part of the BIPOC community when it comes to diversity. How have you seen maybe the the voices change? Because I, I do feel you did, you know, talk about how you have seen some change, but you're your concern about the focus on Black History Month. But if we look broader in the broader sense, um, you know, you've been in the industry for a long time. 
are you seeing the mosaic of our country represented better in uh, on the on the media landscape? Depends on what your measurement is of better. Mm. I, I think that it's improved. Uh, I don't know if it's better. I think that um, there definitely <clears throat> there's definitely more more um, visibility in visible places like what you see on, on your TV screen. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's happening behind the scenes, right, um, in pivotal roles, I don't know a hundred percent. I do know a few other, you know, um, producers of color. Um, and people in manager positions at a few outlets, but I would say it's a handful. I definitely wouldn't say it's anything substantial. Uh, I was actually reading um, an article the other day in the Ryerson Review Journalism that talks about uh, the Toronto Star. And I remember when I was in school, <laughs> how many years ago, decades ago, and, um, you know, there was a the study came out. It was actually part of my interview when I was going into Ryerson. It talked about uh, the lack of diversity in in uh, in newsrooms across the country, and it was a study. And uh, it, from this article, um, and everything can be taken from the position of who's writing it, nothing seems to have changed much at the start. Mm-hmm. And that's very disappointing because, um, you know, Toronto is a multicultural city. It has so many different um, ethnicities and, and people in the city that want to see themselves reflected and want opportunities and want to be able to have their voice and their their stories told right and it can't always be told by <clears throat> from one lens it has to be um acknowledged that there's other people who have something to say yeah. and i think that um they're definitely when people are in those businesses like when i was a producer and i had interns they were always interns um of color Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to make sure that they got a foot in the door because I knew how hard it was for me to get in. And once you can get in there, then you can then you can flourish and you can grow. Yeah. And so um, I see that in terms of there's people that are in positions that wouldn't have been there if I didn't open the door for them or if I didn't put in a word for them. But there's not enough. There definitely is not enough, Maggie. And I think that um there's definitely things that are in place to change that i know i know for example course has a program to change that mm-hmm. um but i think there definitely needs to be more and it has to be not just people who are in front of the camera or people who are front facing but it has to be people in positions that can make decisions that can decide on what content is absolutely i absolutely agree I also think there needs to be a change in just the knowledge base of those who are in leadership. While, you know, you or I could be, you know, decision makers as women of color, those that are not of color also need to understand better the issues of diversity. And I feel like that needs to change like that. It needs to be a conscious effort of understanding what diversity looks and sounds like, because, you know, I think what part of the frustration, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, part of the frustration is that you or I could be pushing the needle. But if if you're talking to somebody who doesn't understand your worldview or your situation, and they'll never fully understand, you have to live in the skin in order to understand. But if they mm-hmm. don't or want to understand, then you're continue you're going to continually be st- be stuck. And so there has to be a mentality and a mindset of wanting to learn and grow when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion. Correct. Oh, of course. And um, I can tell you that 
um, there were times where I actually, and sort of like in the verse where I just like, hey, you know what? I just want to come in and do my job. Don't want to yeah. have to carry the community on my back, yep. right? Yeah. And I don't want to have to be that person that's always pitching the black stories. Yep. I want to pitch other stories, right? And I'm be taken just as seriously, right? Mm -hmm. But I felt um, a need because I, I feel very strongly about my community um, to to play that role. But sometimes it was draining. And um, there were a few, I would say, most of the people that I worked with definitely was an effort to understand and respect and um, take it into consideration or try to, to expand that. But there were people who, who did not, yeah. were not interested, who felt like, oh, wow, it's like, you know, we've done, coming back to Black History Month, we've done our quota of stories that we don't need to do anymore for Black History Month. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I, I have come across that, that sort of um, attitude. And, and that's where there's just not an understanding of why it's important to tell the stories and who you're, and really knowing. And I think people are very, there's a misconception where people really, they think that they know who the audience is and they'll be very surprised <laughs> about who's watching. Yep. Absolutely. So what are your thoughts on the mayoral race? It is quite diverse. The front runner right now is a woman of color. Um, mm -hmm. what are, what are some of your thoughts on, on the race so far? <laughs> well, I'm glad that I live in Pickering. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, Fenella. Uh, you know, man, I, I have been following it. Um, uh, full disclosure, one of the, the candidates that are running, uh, Mitzi Hunter, is, is a good friend of mine. I went okay. to university with her and um, I, I have been giving her some advice along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, obviously I would like to see her in the role of uh, Mayor of Toronto. Uh, I think that, you know, I understand the frustration that I've heard from some people that it, it's, you know, the media is kind of just focusing on six, five or six candidates or, you know, the debates are just focusing on five or six candidates and it's not really fair to the rest of the people who are running because they're not getting the same sort of spotlight. How can they get ahead if nobody's covering what they're saying, right? Mm -hmm. But it's very hard <laughs> with 102 candidates, right? It's very hard. You have to pick the people who have a like good chance of getting a significant amount of votes, not necessarily even winning, but getting a good significant amount of votes and sort of follow what they're doing. Um, so I, I understand, you know, and why some people are kind of upset about that. But I see also from a media standpoint, you cannot cover everybody. You cannot do everybody. It's just too daunting of a task. You can barely do the six yeah. with justice, right? Um, I think that, uh, you know, <sighs> Toronto, uh, it would be great to see somebody, um, you know, who's not white in the role, in the leadership role, who's not a man in the leadership role. Uh, and that's coming from, you know, <laughs> a woman of color, right? Yeah. So that's obviously my preference, right? But I would like to see someone who can really um, change Toronto and get it back to where it should be, mm -hmm. get it back to the Toronto that I grew up in. Because I can tell you that if I have to go somewhere, it's a real like decision maker. If I'm, if it's really worth my efforts because the traffic in the city mm -hmm. is horrendous. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, 
you know, there's a lot of things with the TTC, with, you know, mental health, so many different issues, affordable housing. There's so many issues that are on there. And I don't know if one person can fix all of them. I think maybe they need to focus on just one and try and work on that one and then, you know, go down, down the list. But there's so many things that Toronto is, is facing and it is a work class city. And I, and I think that it's just fallen below that status lately in a lot of different areas and we need to pick it back up. Vanilla, it has been a pleasure. Our time has just gone by so quickly. I had so many more questions for you, but thank you. Thank you for being on the show this morning. Oh, you're right. It did. It did breeze by. Okay. <laughs> that was Thanks for having me, Maggie. It was great. Oh, I so appreciated our chat. Thank you.